Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Hello, Levin. Thanks so much for joining us in the podcast. Such honor to have you. It's it's an honor to be here in in a, in a serious podcast about <laughs> science and technology. You are curious. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit serious, so I'm trying to cope with you. But um, maybe first of all, if you can define yourself, how would like to define yourself for people maybe first time listening to you? Well, it's it's hard. Um, uh, I've studied physics. Yeah. I'm a science and tech enthusiast, you could say. Um, I was a stand-up comedian, and now I'm a science communicator that still has some of the comedy genes. So I, I used to be a pure stand-up comedian, just talking about anything. Mm-hmm. Then after a while, I started talking about science because physics uh, is and was my passion. Yeah. And then I noticed that there was a, a great demand for this um, to talk about science in in a much more informal and entertaining way without being too um, without making things too easy I think the biggest mistake in science communication is underestimating the the interest of the audience and just downplaying it too much actually yeah that's a very important point I think that's something we'll discuss in detail but I would like to go back when you dropped out for school. This is a situation like that because sometimes if you're really passionate about something and you're in your, you sometimes, yeah, many students sometimes feel they don't really gain this kind of knowledge sometimes or feel sometimes, yeah. It's a kind of the way we make people passionate about something. Mm-hmm. So for you, back in the time when you take a trip to drop out and do something, yeah. what kind of thoughts come to you at this time, emotions to, to do something? Yeah, so, yeah, so I, I was in my last year of physics yeah. when when we started working for television. And so I paused. Back then I thought I paused my studies yeah. to make a TV show. Um, and I was really convinced when I, when I stopped then mm. that I was going to be back. Um, and there were two, there were two options, uh, either the TV career would just fail in the first year, which was very realistic, of course. But yeah. it's, it's it's not a it's not a place where you are you're sure you're gonna have success or continue. Yeah. Um, and the other option was uh, okay, I work on my comedy career for a while, and then uh, kind of part time, I I continue studying. Yeah. Um, I had high hopes for this because the system became a lot easier at that point. Um, suddenly you didn't have to do entire years. You could just do one course at a time. And uh, actually, there's I think there's five courses that are still on my desk, mm-hmm. <laughs> have been there for the, yeah. for the past 10 years, yeah. kind of hoping like maybe one day. Um, it turns out I'm probably going to become this. When I studied physics, there were always a few retired people. Mm. Uh, and they were mostly uh, retired engineers, actually who suddenly after their career, I think in, 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 in business or in, in development or, or um, in machinery, mm. wanted to 
um, find the the pure poetry of of uh, well theoretical physics. I think, yeah. As I'm, I'm probably going to become one of those. <laughs> but I'm curious about this combination for the comedy and the science because. You said that sometimes, yeah, the way we in academia sometimes is a lot of students miss out the will. Uh, I don't know if you know Taylor. Uh, he's doing some chemistry videos on YouTube. Taylor, I don't know if you know him, but he was on the podcast. And 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 I think this way, when I saw your videos, way that you have this kind of fun and and combination with science, it's not easy. And when we speak in academia, for example, schools, there's a lot of seriousness. And people, and yeah, kids hate it. I think that's something, yeah, and that's something I think is not easy, it's hard. How we can, for you as a young, uh, a young maybe at this time, I don't know, 18, 19 at this time, how you figured out that, that I can use this comedy skills with science, how, how it's easy for you, hard? Um, I think, um, I, well, I, I like to speak of myself as a nerd. I, I like to use it as kind of a, a thing that I'm proud of. Yeah. And um, uh, I, I know other people really dislike the word, so that's up to anybody to, yeah. to use it or not. But I like to speak of, of myself as a nerd and the nerds. And I think nerds amongst each other, we have lots of fun. We have our science jokes and our math jokes and we have Pi Day mm. and the Ig Nobel Awards. When, when I... When I let people watch the ignoble award ceremony mm. for the first time, they they always think these are not scientists. Pe people who are outside of science, yeah. they think these are not scientists. The scientists are serious people, and they mm. and they always have to be very um, uh, self-contained. And 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 there they see people just losing it and 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 throwing paper airplanes and and having fun. So I think there is there has always been the, well. There has always been passion in science and technology. I think few people choose this path without the passion to really do it. Mm. And for me, the link from passion to talking about it in a fun and entertaining way mm. is is kind of logical. What I think the the pitfalls were in the past decades and we're, we're learning fast now i think because of internet and and memes and the fact that people find each other and and can make jokes and have fun but i think one of the problems of the past decades when when things came to us through linear television and things like that is that um when you're really researching a topic mm. being very passionate about one result can can become a bias the fact that sometimes when when you see a researcher especially of course i think it it's it's even a bigger danger in them in the human sciences mm. when you really want to prove something in society or or in psychology and you are so passionate about it and you really want this to be true that's always dangerous yeah. now the charge of an electron will not be fooled by your enthusiasm yeah. but things in society and psychology so i think it's it's just a hypothesis that, that i've had for a while that the the seriousness and the objectiveness that we look for in research kind of spilled over to the way we communicated about it that we thought we have we have to have the same rigidness mm -hmm. and you will often see that when you talk about science that especially other scientists yeah 
are very unforgiving about small mistakes that you make or about incompleteness. When, when you talk about a topic and you want to make it accessible for a broad audience, very often there are colleagues in the same field who come back, yes, but this little, this little detail was not right and you cannot call this phenomenon that name because actually it's something else. I've seen it a lot. I've, I've, um, so I'm, I'm not in the position myself. I think I have kind of a freedom by the fact that I'm not in research myself, that I'm not connected to an institution, that I don't have colleagues or competitors in the same field of research because I don't have one. But when I invite scientists to talk about what they are doing on television, they are mainly thinking about the eight colleagues who will see them on TV and not about the few hundred thousand people of the general audience. Mm. So they will shape their sentences in a way that the colleagues cannot criticize them afterwards and not in a way that makes the few hundred thousand people mm. enthusiastic. And that's something that I think we're, we're losing it now. I think people are learning mm. and I think the new generation the people who grew up with podcasting, for example, and also with the clever comedians that we have internationally who talk about science too, with the Brian Coxes and, and, and Neil deGrasse Tysons. And, and uh, yeah, so I, I, I hope that things are changing now and I see the signs. It's yeah. a very excellent point and a lot of point. I think that's something, yeah, we speak a lot of time about that, the way of the communication with general public of course, there's a great research. We can't say that. But at the same time, with something we discuss in academia, the pressure to publish for grants and funders. And of course, there's a lot of effort and pressure at the same time. But I think in between, I'm not speaking for everyone, but some people like you or maybe people who are passionate just want to be curious. Sometimes this is killed the curiosity because you want a certain result or you're afraid of your competitor, what it's going to say about you. And that's, I, I don't know if that's what could be, be damaging in, in, at the end of the way, or that's something, yeah, the way we communicate with people or make people curious about what we do. But I'm curious to ask you that point because I saw your interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson and he himself and also Carl Sagan, they have a lot of criticism. And even now science communicators, they, they seem as not really science communicator. Mm -hmm. we, it's not taken seriously. Yeah. So you're reaching many people, you have this effect to reach many people, you don't have, you're not a researcher, but you really cares about research and you're able to think critically, yeah. but there's deep down underestimation for science communicator or not taken seriously. Why do you think this happened? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a different profession than being a researcher, I think. Mm -hmm. The people who combine it have always been the best. Um, um, I think Carl Sagan and Richard Feynman, for example, who, who could speak in such a... Well, when he talks about science, you become enthusiastic. Mm. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson also. Um, the, the reason why, why science communicators get some criticism, mm. they, there could be a few. If I'm very pessimistic, then I would say 
maybe it's kind of human psychology. Why is this person talking about this topic while I have more expertise in it? Exactly. It is something that I I haven't experienced a lot personally because I I think I play it on the safe side and I will downplay my own experience in things. I will when I explain something I will often acknowledge that I've I've learned this from the expert. I've heard it from the expert. But that that would be the pessimist side that that people get in this reflex like I'm the expert. Why is this person talking about it? Yeah, well, yeah. because talking about it is kind of an expertise too. If I'm less pessimistic and let's go for that. <laughs> then <clears throat> the expert will see the will see the simplifications in your explanation mm. because that's kind of their job um, yeah. um when i have to explain to uh, kids or 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 younger people or a general audience what what mass is mm. i will always connect it to weight and so the correct way of explaining this would be so this object has mass this is something that on earth in the field of gravity we can experience as weight i don't need that sentence to talk to young people i can say so this object is mass you know things that have a weight i often get angry letters then um especially by um secondary school teachers because they have a hard time explaining their students the difference between the two yeah. and so out of out of their expertise out of their experience they say like okay so i spend i spend a, a week time in my lessons mm. to get them to see the difference between the concept of mass and weight mm. and then this half a comedian on tv uses them in one sentence yeah. and and turns it the other way again. So I can understand why why then people criticize you. Mm. But for me it's it's a, it's a very deliberate choice to not use the complete sentence this is mass something that we experience here on earth in the field of gravity as weight because that's not the way that I reach mm. children or or youngsters. So that's probably I think that would be the two main reasons where the criticism comes from um and maybe one one extra is that the first time i did signs on tv was in a talk show here in belgium and i was a comedian at that point mm. so of course it was half comedy and half science and i didn't use uh, a lot of mathematics because it was in a broad audience talk show yeah. i was just talking about the principles how does a microwave work uh, how does a, a nuclear explosion work um, i even did relativity and quantum but in like for the microwave i just took the example of the water molecule and and um the the polar yeah. i think the english word is so the the plus side and the minus side the yeah and the fact that in the electromagnetic wave it would turn around and then there were some letters on well not only water is polar and other molecules in your food are too so like, okay i didn't have time for it but the point i was going to make afterwards um afterwards the number of students starting the study of physics mm. in ghent doubled yeah. and in the second year it fell back to normal mm -hmm. Why? because and th that's something that, I, that i've always kept in the back of my head because i've made people enthusiastic for a kind of science that is not something that is mm. thought at university and for good reasons yeah. 
you don't you don't teach people at university the, the fun stories and the wow moments i think there is nothing wrong with the wow moments but the moment that people start um start focusing their studies on something that it is really not then the criticism of science communication is is absolutely valid and so now the last book i've written about physics which is just a wow moments which is just i tell people i take you on a walk uh, this is this is a country that i've studied physics yeah. and there's some very nice corners here that i want you to see and come along and we'll take a walk but in the end i i just added a, a very important piece like if you like this book know that this is not university physics i don't use math in my book you can you cannot have the illusion well i i cannot give the people the illusion that they can do anything in physics without mathematics but all it's i mean it's the language of of it all so the way i described it was i took you on a fun ride in a nice car in university you have to learn to build the car it's not because you like the ride that you want to be with your hands in the motor and the oil and the cylinders and everything there's there's a conceptual difference between the fun in physics and the way to study it so the best thing i can hope for is that i can make the people who do like the deep work a bit more enthusiastic yeah. and that the others enjoy the ride and then just do something else but that was i think one of the most valid criticisms that i've that i've received for science communication if you give people the illusion that this is the real thing that you're going to do in university then there's a danger in there there's a lot of so there's actually few people who who have started who have started their studies in physics because of me and it was really not something for them so you can sometimes well you sometimes you have to be aware of these things as a communicator yeah. But I I don't I don't I don't know for the criticism I think that's something you still face it I think any sense communicator are still facing that honestly how that's affecting you when you see that some people is still conservative the way is not allowed to simplify even people with today I think we will they just use simple words and they say journal will not allow using simple words mm -hmm. it's just hard to understand even for myself now I just when I not explain something. It's just so annoying to read it in very jargons. Like, I don't understand what you say. Why don't make it simple for me? I don't understand why do you think education, I think that's a global problem. Why we keep these jargons? Why? Why we don't use the simple language so people can relate? For example, and that's something we go for, the storytelling. It's, it's hard to do storytelling. It's super hard. And I, I think it's a talent that how you make a story that people can relate to it and make them enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. I think that is that is something that is done very well in the the new Cosmos series. Yeah. Uh, so um, Carl Sagan's uh, wife, who is who is a writer, wrote this new Cosmos series that it was then hosted by by Neil deGrasse Tyson. But they really go for the story um, of the the history of 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 the the things that we discovered and the the people who discovered them. And that is a, that is something that has always appealed to the human psyche. That's why we have movies and, and, and theater pieces. And so I remember when I was really studying physics, I didn't really care about the stories. I I, I thought the the beauty of relativity and of, of quantum mechanics was more than enough for me. And 
than the stories and the discussions between Bohr and Einstein. They were nice, but they were not what I was I was I was after. But it's a it's a it's absolutely a good way to reach an audience, like Bill Bryson does in in his books. Uh, the uh, a brief history of nearly everything I think is a wonderful book that gives you this this feel of it's a human endeavor, this science and and finding things out. Um, so. In, in science communication, there, there is this storytelling and there is this simplifying. Where the criticism comes from is, um, well, different angles. One thing that I, that I maybe think, because there's a lot of science communicator training at this moment. Mm. There's amazing um, things going on, like the, the FameLab, the international competition where you explain your topic. Uh, there's Bright Club, which is a comedy club for scientists. We had a few in Brussels. There's there's many in 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 England. Um, there's um, an evening of unnecessary detail, mm-hmm. is um, I think monthly in in London, organized by um, the Festival of the Spoken Nerd, um, and that's a lot of fun. And and people are amongst their own. It's a very safe environment. You know, there's not going to be a lot of criticism. There's a huge enthusiasm for the very, very nerdy joke there. So those are great environments. One thing that when when people want to go into science communication, I always always advise them, go for those stages and and just do it and and learn by doing it. And there's, there's a lot you can, there's a lot of experience that you can get there. But... The last few years I've been thinking, if you make that next step in science communication and you start really uh, reaching the audience, like in a podcast or even doing a small explanation on TV, people kind of need to be prepared for Mm. these few angry people with a smartphone who are always there. And it's such a small minority the people who the people who will actively take their telephone or their laptop mm. to tell you how bad you did or how annoying you were mm. and um the good news that i can tell people is you do get used to it um the bad news is took me 10 years yeah. um the first the first time somebody addresses you directly I mean, when you do a podcast or when you're on on TV, there's hundreds of people, sometimes thousands of people, sometimes tens of thousands of people watching. You can you cannot expect them all to like you. That's just it's mathematically impossible. The difference is that in these times, of course, they have they have the devices to tell you this in person and they do. And so I've gotten used to it. also, I try to I try always to be very diplomatic and to find out like where does your frustration come from. The reason why I'm telling this now is that I've seen people nearly drop out of science communication simply because of this. Mm. I've seen people who were who were very uh, good at what they did, good researchers who had who who could well, talk about their research in an understandable way, in an entertaining way. And they did in some talk show where there was a politician. And the next day they had three emails about small mistakes they made and, and how annoying they were. And this, it's, it's so small, but it really weighs on people. They Like for a week, they don't really know, like, 
do I want to continue doing this? Can I take this again? If if I can if I can do an explanation every month, can I take this every month? This kind of commentaries, and so that's so when it comes to criticism, the criticism there's valid criticism that you you can always learn from, and then there's these few annoying people that you can learn to ignore once you can see for yourself like this is going nowhere. This is somebody who's angry at something, and I was in the picture. Yeah. Um, but it's something to prepare for. Unfortunately, when you go into science communication, you have to be prepared for this in advance. Just don't don't let don't let them drag you down. <laughs> That's kind of the thing. Yeah, it's true. This is where it happens. Um, I think almost science communicator or broadcaster they have kind of hate, or they don't really agree with what you say. I I don't understand why people hate something like that. But yeah, as you said, you can't let people everyone like you. It's just impossible. Yeah. Yeah. True, true. But I'm curious to ask you about when you go to stage and you have this comedy sense with sign. Do you think it's something uh, natural? I don't know because we are, uh, maybe I'm serious a little bit. So I don't know for you has this kind of sense of comedy. It's hard for you to, when you go to stage and make sure the audience is engaging with you. How do you make sure that you have this, this sense of comedy and making people laugh and sometimes make this kind of science story? How would e is it easy or hard? Is it something anyone can be trained to do it? Or I'm curious about that. How you make sure you have this kind every time you stage, same performance? I think it's it's a combination of the fact that you kind of um, there's there's some element natural in this, mm -hmm. the fact that you want to do this, or the fact that you look for these situations, and then there's a lot of training. I think it's the same. It it kind of compares to to sports people. Um, if you don't like to be on a grass field, you probably won't become a good football player, even if you have the talent for it. If you have a lot of talent and you like to have fun, but you don't like the the training and the running and the and the and the power fitness, then you probably won't get there too. So that it's kind of a combination. Um, also, like for everyone, my, my first shows were difficult. Mm. Um, almost every stand-up comedian that I know wanted to go home a minute before their first performance. It's, yeah. uh, it's the moment where it hits you like, why am I doing this again? <laughs> why am I putting myself in front of, I think then, 60 people yeah. who can just be silent for the next 10 minutes and just... Uh, well, John and send me away. So uh, that, that that's a point that you have to cross. And then my first few shows, I was young, I was a student. They were in bars. There were 30 people there, 40 people there. Some of them didn't work at all. Sometimes nothing happened. And then you have to kind of analyze. And then you have to just learn. Stand-up comedy, I think, is is kind of the... I don't know what what the English word is when when these long distance runners they go they go training high in the mountains to kind of altitude, yeah the altitude training yeah. to 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 increase their oxygen levels. I think stand up comedy is is the altitude training of of public speaking. Mm. It's it's a ruthless environment. If people don't laugh, they don't laugh. And sometimes it's because of your jokes and sometimes it's because this audience was looking for something else, but you cannot deny that it didn't work. Mm. Um, um, that's maybe something else with 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 theater. The 
the, the audience can be silent, but five people can have loved it. That's very difficult in comedy. When, when, when the room is silent, there's seldomly five people who afterwards think, oh, this was great. So it's, it's a rootless environment. Um, it's an altitude training in, in public speaking. And it gives you kind of a natural reflex to look for not only the joke, but also the entertaining part. Mm. And for me, the entertaining part is not always a joke. It can, always, it can also be um, the wow moment. I love the wow moment and I also love the, the aha moment when you, when you explain something and suddenly you realize, oh, that's why the color of the sun becomes more red when it goes down and the sky is blue and you explain why they have this wow moment. And so for me, the, the joke and the wow moment and the aha moment have the same value. It's, it's always kind of, well, maybe a small... Um, um, dopamine shot for the audience yeah. that it's, a, it's yeah. something fun and so i think stand-up comedy kind of gave me this reflex to always mm. give this to the audience every now and then yeah. um so yeah stand-up comedy as as a altitude training and then there's something else there's there's kind of a very easy advice for everybody who wants to go in science communication first of all you don't have to be a stand-up comedian there's lots of other ways to talk about science in, in a very uh, appealing way without the stand-up comedy. That's just one, one genre. But what I often say to people is that the best thing you can do is talk to an audience like you are talking to some of your best friends mm. in a bar or at a picnic or at a barbecue. Just imagine that a good friend of yours who has no knowledge of your field asks you a genuinely interested question. So like, I've heard you were working on this. That's fascinating. Tell me more about it. How would you talk to this person? In my experience, that's always the best way to talk to an audience. And I've noticed it a few times. I've, I've been in these juries for science communication competitions uh, every now and then. What often happens is that the people will have two or three minutes to talk about what they do, and then we can ask follow-up questions. Um, almost every single one of them speaks a lot better in the follow-up questions than in their time on stage, mm. because they've prepared it, and they've written it down, and they've exercised it, and it had to be uh, shorter than three minutes, so maybe take that sentence out, and it kind of loses the, the, the spontaneity. And then when you ask the follow-up questions, especially when you ask about the things they're really working on, then the enthusiasm bubbles up and you're like, oh, nice of you to ask because uh, that's how it works and that's how it works. So trying to be as, as informal as possible is difficult because you will be very nervous your first performances, almost everyone is. But reaching this point where you can actually talk to an audience like you're talking to good friends who are interested in an informal setting, that's kind of the goal that I try to steer people towards most of the time. Yeah, that's true. And maybe because about the story, for example, when you explain a moment, people can relate why this happened. We take everything for granted. For example, the metric system. I like it how you see that we are playing 20 feet. Well, it doesn't make sense. And that's true. And I think that's take a lot of maybe 
yeah, to understand what's actually in our life is not making sense to people. So for you, how to make the story? The art of making a story is not easy and connecting to puzzles so people can understand because it's hard. Storytelling is hard. Mm -hmm. How you make sure this kind of you select the story, what something you think, yeah, the momentum or maybe the how this story can people resonate with. How you select that? How you make sure you make it in a story way? Even um, your book as well. I saw your books you have kind of relatable Game of Thrones, the plushes. So I think that's something people create movies with something that's brilliant. Uh, so yeah, yeah. For 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 the insects, indeed, it was uh, Game of Thrones and uh, in the undergrowth, yeah. because well, I have a lot of side tracks in my interests, and insects is is, is one of them, and the way they behave is just well, they are murderers and, and stealing and it's 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 game theory evolution is kind of game theory and i think we're very lucky that we we are a species that that lived in groups for so long that we developed morality and 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 solidarity and things there's none of that in insects so that, that, that's kind of game of thrones in the in the bushes there um when when i try to analyze the the story build up it's almost always um uh, in hindsight, I don't really have the recipe. I think um, I don't really have a, a recipe that I, that I follow to to build up to a story. Um, um, by working with other people, I sometimes have seen like, oh, I would do it in a different way, and then I kind of, I think the the, the main thing that I discovered uh, for myself is that um, many people forget to put the reveal of the story in the end. And I'm looking for an example now that sometimes you can you can explain how something works. Ah, I remember now, yeah, I was uh, I was in a TV show. I was explaining uh, polarized light um, and we, we had done this entire setup with um, you can take the, the polarizing filter off a computer screen and then it's just white. The information is still there, but the, the, the light is polarized in all directions. And then when you take the polarizing filter and you put it over the screen or you make glasses out of it, you can see the screen while other people just see white. And so I have to ex explain polarization and, and, and how it works. And then I ended with the story like, OK, this, this was discovered in this year, that year. And the person who discovered it thought like, oh, this is this is not only polarizing light, it is also filtering light so it is diminishing uh, how bright it is so maybe i can make sunglasses out of this and he called them polaroid and that's when people connect something that they've known for so long with the thing that you've just explained and then you're like oh then you get oh that's how it works and i've seen i've seen some um i've seen some people make the mistake of opening with polaroid say do you know polaroid sunglasses let me explain to you where it comes from. It's another way of telling the story, but you lose this oh moment in the end. And maybe it's maybe it's stand-up comedy reflex to always go for this effect in a way to that you want you want your audience to go either haha or 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 in a way. So Putting the reveal in the end is is maybe the one trick that I do use sometimes deliberately, yeah. and all the rest is once again sports metaphor. 
if a soccer player takes a free kick, they can know everything about aerodynamics. Mm -hmm. It's not going to help them much. It's all in the experience. Mm. A soccer player has to just take a thousand free kicks and then the biological neural network will figure out through experience what the best way is to hit the ball I'm yeah. few people think about the point of equilibrium when they ride a bicycle and and the mm. possible gyroscopic effects of the of their wheels so I think theory in in storytelling is is difficult I think training is the is the main thing there yeah I'm curious to skew in that case do you think they may be missing pieces when it comes to make audience attractive or maybe curious I just I want to keep your attention I think that's part of how you make the vicious series it's, it's just you need you need this kind of state of mind, people curious till the end. So, do you think there's other pieces behind the story and you as a communicator and how you people perceive you? Because sometimes we, I don't like this. I, you know, this kind of there's a state between the person as and the story. Do you think other pieces secret to make audience attracted? There's few tricks. <laughs> there's there's kind of um. There's kind of an of an awareness of the audience mm. the fact that um, you feel when attention is dropping yeah. and um, once again uh, the the, the stand-up comedy background it's it's something that really um, uh, trained me in this I think that as a stand-up comedian seeing a part of your audience kind of doze off mm. it's it's deadly and it's very threatening and so I think because I'm a nervous person um, mm. uh, in nature that when I feel a part of the audience is dozing off that I kind of look for tricks to get them back and is there a joke somewhere or, or can I mm. do something unexpected. Um, I've also, I've also um, ruined shows this way. Mm. The fact that I became too eager to please and too eager to tell the next joke while people were maybe waiting for content and 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 understanding how things work yeah. um but actually the, the the podcast that we that we started in dutch the the well every month we look at the science news of the month um we started it for the exact um opposite reason of what my reflexes as as a comedian were so as a comedian and when I'm on TV talking about science, I always want to be very short and, and snappy and, and very digestible for a broad audience. And I kind of felt like there's there's a lot of things that I really think are beautiful that I want to explain and I don't have the time for. So let's just start a podcast for the in crowd, just for the people who really want to know. And we can talk about the Mars lander for 15 minutes and um, we can talk about the fact that AI systems are now better at, um, well, a lot better at folding proteins virtually than than uh, human researchers are and what the ramifications are for, for science and bioscience and AI, the, uses of, uh, the usage of AI in these fields. And so we took the time and we just talked about it. And strangely enough, mm. to our own surprise, Many people really liked it, even the people that we completely didn't expect there. We thought, like, this is our little corner 
for the real science enthusiast. And the audience has become much broader now in a way that I have to be careful to not make the same comedy mistake now sometimes now I'm, I'm in the podcast and I'm thinking like well can we take this topic because the audience is broader than it used to be no they, they came because we really went in depth mm -hmm. so I don't have I, I really shouldn't change the tone now because then maybe they they, they, they lose their interest mm -hmm. so that was that was a very interesting uh, point for me that when I threw all my all my crowd-pleasing tricks overboard and started the podcast with the real in-depth information mm. that people were still interested. So maybe maybe, um, maybe sometimes I, I aim for the joke a bit too soon. Could be. That's really brilliant point. And I think the old lessons here are better than what you say. Thank you for sharing that. It's very important. And I think now you're doing a show about DNA and human genetics across uh, Belgium and Netherlands. So if you could just about this kind of yeah, you, you now have two sides. The TV, it's limited, and you found that people are eager and demanding for more in this. Yeah. They want more. And that's interesting. So how, how, how do you go for a show when you go to, to deliver a show for, for example, DNA and where people have to care about that and the future was ethical sides? How, how you now combine these two worlds in, in a show for people? Because in the podcast, sometimes you don't see the people. You just go and... But I, I can understand the element of audience is kind of making nervous that I wanted to bleed them. Yeah. And that's maybe how you combine now the both sides when you go the first show you have. Yeah. Um, I, am, I'm, I think I'm very lucky that I can start my theater shows, most of them, as uh, keynote speeches. So every now and then I'm, I'm asked for, for an event, um, um, a company where a lot of people deliver their, their keynote speeches. And most of the times I am the, the entertaining talk uh, in the end or just before the end. But like, for example, my next show is going to be about AI, about artificial intelligence. So I've, I've done an AI keynote now three or four times. And then it's just 20, 30 minutes that I talk about things that I, well, things that have, have struck me in, in AI um, results and research in, in, in the past years. For example, this protein folding and, um, and the, the new uh, language generation, uh, generating algorithms that are, that are there now. Um, and then it's, uh, of course, when you do a keynote at, at, a, at an event, um, academic or business, it's um, it's a it's a completely different thing than talking to an audience that came to the theater, bought their tickets, had a drink before, had dinner before, expect an entertaining evening. So I can have this build up. I can just start by doing the keynotes, and then I can start by doing the tryouts. Um, tryouts are amazingly important when when you want to when you want to develop a show for a big audience. Mm. You need I think fifteen to thirty tryouts in advance because sometimes something will look so good on paper and it completely doesn't work uh, with the audience. And the other thing happens quite a lot too, that you think that a certain sentence or something that you're talking about is just kind of a filler between two topics and then the audience just loves it. So tryouts are kind of the, the wind tunnel of, of your show. You can, you can do your drawings on the computer 
but once you put them in the wind tunnel you see where the where the flaws are um and that's how that's how i get there i think by by you can really allow yourself to start at a very easy level like keynote level talking about things like i would in a pub to someone else when they're interested and then kind of building up to the 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 theater setting with the light and and the music and um and the the director who then tells me uh, where to stand and 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 things like that the biggest danger in moving towards the really theater show is again dumbing it down um i have long discussions with the director uh because both for well in the dna show i really want to explain what dna does so the the basic explanation of this long string of letters the base pairs and this beautiful principle that every three letters are the code for one amino acid and if you put a line of amino acids in a row they fold together to a protein and these are kind of the the mini robots that do a lot of things in our cells and in our bodies i really wanted it in there and again and again they told me like no just focus on the on the society things and and is police going to use dna to solve crimes and uh, will everybody know their ancestry and um uh, the medical things and designer babies just focus on on the the societal things that people can relate to but in my experience an audience feels so appreciated when you really explain them how it works that it's for me it's an it's an essential thing of of a show now and so the same for ai this will be a bit of a challenge but somewhere in this somewhere in this theater show i do want to explain what the layers are and the the neural network and the weights and and mm. i hope to get to the point that if you combine all your layers and your weights that in the end you have a mathematical formula that you can derive and so the the um, deriving the formula can tell you which way to go to make it more efficient i hope to even get to that point but that will be tricky yeah. but this moment of really explaining how it works i've heard from people in the audience that said um we kind of mentally skipped that point that's okay some people when when, when i start talking about amino acids and the, and the letters they like okay just um let him talk for 3 4 minutes and then we get back to the the society things mm. for me that's fine but uh, fortunately more people were very happy afterwards that they had this basic understanding of mm. of how 3 3 billion letters in 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 a cell can determine the color of your eyes and 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 the way you taste things and 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 stuff like that yeah so like, really explaining how it works i think makes an audience feel appreciated yeah yeah that's a great point so since we're close to the end um, i have a few question for you first one what's your aspiration when it comes to i think what based on what you mentioned it seems very challenging what you do you want to make sure you have a deep understanding and you want to make it in a digestible way and also explain the basics 
So it's not easy. You want to, yeah, it's a hard work. For you, what is your aspiration to make sure that, yeah, it's a lot of responsibilities and you have to make sure that you deliver the mission you, you believe in. So for you, what's your aspiration? Something is still hard to understand when it comes to, yeah, I think you have a lot of expertise, but maybe something is still hard to understand or maybe something you want to develop more beyond what you have already did a successful career. So, but yeah, still a lot of aspiration, I think. When it comes to the job that I do, I think it's one of the most beautiful in the world. Um, uh, maybe um, professional athlete, I think would have been yeah. great. That ship has sailed a long time ago. Astronaut would be brilliant. Yeah. I'm slightly claustrophobic, not for me. And so this is wonderful because I can, um, I can visit so many researchers and institutions and, and, and get the explanation there. And I have the huge luxury of professionally choosing a new topic every few years that I really want to study. So from, from physics to genetics now and life sciences, and then the next step will be AI. And, and so I feel very, very blessed in that way. I'm very happy with what I do now. I would like to continue doing it, but of course, you always, you always have, you always kind of think of could there be a next step? Um, that would be doing more in English, I think. Yeah, that's something I was watching. Even yesterday, I had a hard time to translate even what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Main reason is that well, it, it's kind of a trade-off at this mm -hmm. point. Uh, the fact that, um, for example, I, I tweet a lot. Um, I tweet mostly in Dutch. I sometimes tweet in English. Um, my my English tweets uh, will get a lot less response. Um, I don't know why, because I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of, of my Dutch-speaking followers will also understand English. Yeah. But I think they feel I think that it's less call to action for them when it's not in their in their native language. So. I've I've been I've been thinking I've I've done an, a show in English in um, at the Edinburgh Fringe um, uh, four years ago, five years ago, um, and for me that was kind of a point like okay now I have some content in English, um, I got some English speaking followers from that festival thought like oh maybe now I can just switch to mm -hmm. tweeting in English because all my followers understand it anyway, but immediately it was clear like this this was going to do me more harm than good at that point. So the question is, will there be a time where it is a good idea to switch? I don't know yet, yeah. but I would really love to um, um, take my science theater shows to England. Yeah. Uh, the plans were kind of there until this strange virus <laughs> hit the world. Yeah. Um, there was a bit of a plan of, of I'm, I'm still pretty sure that if, if I do my um, this month in science, podcast concept with the English speaking science communicators that I've met the past years mm. that this would really work too um, so I think that that's probably my, my aspirations and, and yeah. um, taking it a bit broader than the, than the Dutch speaking region yeah. Yeah. that would be appreciated if you can do English content as well so yeah yeah and I don't know if you think in this journey, do you think ego is important for you? Because you have a lot of like just experiences with experience and trial and do you think ego now is important for you? Well, we we all have a certain relationship with our ego, yeah. I think. Um the fact that you start doing stand-up 
well tells you that you you go look for an audience um i i have i have quite a lot of friends who are very funny and i sometimes tell them like get on stage because you're 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 clever and you're surprising but most of the time they just say like no i like to be i like to be entertaining amongst friends i don't really feel the need to get on that stage and that's of course something that is different with with comedians um I think I'm lucky to be an anxious person by which I mean that uh, when people um, kind of address me on my behavior, I will often back down mm. instead of uh, putting my chest up and, and, and acting like I'm the bigger man and, and things like that. So that hopefully protects me from, from becoming a, a complete diva celebrity or something, something there. But yeah of course if you if you look for an audience mm. this is this is something that is in your psyche mm. and then i think the well the the trick is to just stay connected with with everyone and especially with your audience do not have this relationship of uh, i'm talking to you and you're listening to me now mm. that, that would be deadly probably yeah. of course yeah and i'm curious what the thing makes you maybe happy or satisfied make your energy up because you have Sometimes we have all the time criticism. People like us. People like us. So, how do we make sure this kind of energy? Because this job requires to be have good energy yeah. and happy and satisfied. What makes you happy, satisfied, or have this kind of energy to do what you do? I'm still figuring out okay. um, because I've 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 hit the wall a few times mm. of uh, just doing too much. Um, also because. Um, once i once i start performing i um i will tap into energy reserves automatically i can be sometimes tired or or a bit ill before a show and feel great after the show because i've opened up a, a, a small reserve of energy somewhere um that's that's more a, a danger than a luxury because you, you will always pay that back a few days later um and I've had periods where, I, where I've done too much in, in a short time. Um, the, the things that, um, well, the things that I have to be very aware of is that when I'm in a talking situation, I, I well, I talk too much and too energetic. And then, of course, in a show, that's what I'm there for. Mm -hmm. I'm on stage and I'm talking. But in social conversation, I, I always have to be aware, like, don't get into performance modes. Um, and I have a few good friends who can tell me this directly. So the people who know me enough to, and, and uh, uh, that I trust enough to just tell me like, Leven, we're just here around a fire having fun. Don't get in performance mode. And they're always right because this, this, it's, it's more instinctive than, than rational. It's yeah. just a reflex. And afterwards, I, I will feel exhausted. I will have been talking too much, and and the others probably thought like oh, this was a conversation, and now it's a performance. Let's let's not do this. Yeah. So that's something that you have to be aware of. Um, it's uh, it's an instinctive yeah. um, entertainment reflex, yeah. I think. Like conversation is going down. Oh, let's find something fun or 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 engaging to talk about, and that can drain my energy every now and then. Yes. Um, but now I, um, especially the the new lockdown, mm. it's family time for me, <laughs> and it's absolutely great. And I'm cleaning my house, 
And so that is uh, a lot of fun. And then maybe the the things that give that the things that really give you most um, satisfaction of the job mm. is um, other people who uh, who got inspired, and then especially um, other people who who got inspired and are doing amazing field work now. Um, like you said, I've I've, I've stopped my studies in physics because we had a golden opportunity to do a TV show at that point. Um, so I've never done the real research and, and, and the real innovation in science and things like that. And I think it happened two or three times through two or three times now um, in my uh, in my career that somebody came to me and said like, oh, I've just finished my PhD and I've started because of uh, your little books. And then I can think, ah, oh, I haven't done anything myself, but <clears throat> I've started a few people on the way who, who who did the actual work, and I think that's the most satisfying part of it. I can imagine that. That's really yeah. wonderful. Yeah. It's like it's like the the father who always wanted to be um, a writer and failed, and then the children have to do it <laughs> because he couldn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's really wonderful feeling uh, yeah. to have it. Yeah. To last question, the first one, what could be the most important quality? One important quality you have to maintain in your career. What could be one important quality? Hmm. That's difficult. Mm. One important quality as a science communicator. Well, maybe it's just to, to stay very interested yourself. Mm. And maybe not just interested, in intrigued. Um something that Feynman in one of his interviews also said that um, when when people say uh, you take the beauty out of things with all your scientific analyzing and Feynman said what <laughs> and Sy Feynman said I look at a flower and I see 15 layers of beauty from the ecological side to even the quantum side that makes this iridescent colors in 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 the in the leaves and even just the aesthetics of it is also there but there's that's something that I couldn't agree more on with Feynman then is that I think science really adds to the the, the beauty and so it's more than interested it's it's intrigued and to keep this alive in yourself is probably essential to also communicate it to others yeah wonderful to hear that yeah and what could be the best advice was given to you and was the life changing? Advice was given to you and was the life changing? Mm. It's probably not really advice, but the fact that um, my parents said mm. okay when I stopped studying mm. is something that I was, as you are at. 20 years old completely unaware of at that point but so basically they had paid university for four years and then their uh then their strange comedy uh playing son said like um thanks for all the fish thanks for uh four years of paying the housing and the food and and the university and the research but now I'm going to try some very risky TV project with my friends. 
And the fact that at that point they said, okay, is is something that I, well, now that I've kids myself, that I kind of learned to appreciate now. Mm. Um, yeah. And of course, the risk was not too high because my, my dad was convinced, like, let's grant him this small adventure. And then a year later, he'll be back. <laughs> he'll be back at university. Uh, but well, uh, luckily it didn't. It didn't happen, and uh, he doesn't mind anymore. <laughs> That's great that you have parents like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I feel very blessed in many ways. Yeah, wonderful. I don't know if you have any final words for Kels. Do you have any final words you'd like to say? Well, um, I've listened to other episodes of the of the podcast. Um, I'm, I'm. I assume it's boring. Is your no, not at all. I'm. I'm. A, I'm an interested person in in a lot and um i was for example um i was kind of uh, kind of intrigued by the the which is logical but i didn't know the high amount of material science in in soft robotics because you don't really use the off-the-shelf aluminum parts yeah. so there's a, lot, there's a lot going in there and um so i've listened to a few episodes of the podcast i'm quite honored to be amongst yeah it's okay no no i think the honor for us because uh, yeah I, th I think yeah, you have a lot of expertise, so it's yeah. fun and it's learning process to be like you. So I think to, yeah, to be a comedian. So. Well, I, I do I do my thing in my thing in in communication, but so th the fact that I'm here amongst the real researchers who who are figuring out uh, the the details and or who are putting in the the real work is um, is great, and uh, if if there's anything I can any advice that I can give them for science communication if they want to go into that. Uh, my pleasure anytime yeah again it was a pleasure to listen to you inspiring and uh, i think everyone know you're in belgium and netherlands so I, I think even beyond that so thanks so much and we expect english content as well so that's something a podcast in english so let's agree on that um if very big if but if my uh, english spoken content really kicks off in the next years it started here thanks so much Lee. it's such an honor to talk to you such, an honor to talk to you. such a pleasure <laughs>